Chris, or are we doing a podcast? I think we're doing a podcast. Hi, dog. Hi, Ben. How are I, you? I, well, it's it's I'm weird, Ben, because I can see you. I know. So it's a, but don't worry, I'm not gonna look at you. I'm gonna look at uh, <laughs> look at a Mountain Dew bottle. <laughs> It's a diet Mountain Dew don't, don't don't give away too much, Ben. We All have right. we have a guest on the podcast, but I, I believe know. that she is once again anonymous. She's anonymous, and she does not. Um, I don't know what she what she drinks. I just know that there's a diet Mountain Dew right in front of me here. Uh, well, and and it's a little bit weirder than usual because we have more people in the audience. We do. And and the problem is like they now because they can see her name tag because we're at a meeting. They now know her secret identity, and we I think we have to swear them to secrecy or something. And uh, here we go. Uh, we have to share this. So, but yes, you are you're sworn to secrecy. Uh, secrecy in here. This it's also a little bit weird that we're doing this podcast because um, we're we're doing it like not um, not not in our home area. We are we're on location. We're, we are we are on location. We're at it's a, we're at a car sales uh, or a, a car dealership. Are we? Are yeah, we? Is it? People usually do it on, on locations. It's all. Really? Yeah, they go sell cars, come by a, you know, Leaf Toyota, and uh, get ten uh, percent off. Is it I, Canadian Leaf? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a Canadian joke. I don't get it either. Yeah, it's, it's losing its luster here it totally in the U.S. Is. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are in lovely Tampa, Tampa Bay, and we actually, for those who are listening to the podcast, uh, can't see this, but we do have a fantastic view of the water of the bay. Of a bay, I don't know. Is that actually Tampa Bay? I think it's a river, but there are literally palm trees outside our window. I think it, I think it's true. There's there are palm trees. Uh, also, there are helicopters uh, that go by, so that we may hear one of those uh, you know, during the uh, podcast. Are they black helicopters? Uh, they are black helicopters. Should we be worried? Should we be hiding yeah. under the table? They are taking they're taking people to uh, they're taking people away. Um, Were you about to say Gitma? No, I was not about to say you. We are about close. We are yeah. close. No, the you know the um, the secret uh, <coughs> child refugee place on Mars is where I was <laughs> where I was thinking about. Like, I'm sure I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> nothing about. It. It's, not, it's not real. Um, so we're at IAFP 2017. Don and I have actually spoken with each other almost this whole week. We um, he took a picture of me. Uh, as a session monitoring yesterday. Well, no, no, let, let's explain for people. I took a picture of you as you were supposed to be session monitoring, and in fact, you were looking at your phone. I was still, I was still technically session monitoring. I think the, He's a millennial. He can do multitask. Exactly. Um, and I think the <laughs> role of session monitor is really, uh, has really evolved over the years. And uh, I, I just like to sit at the front, and, uh, and I'm listening. I'm listening to every, I'm asking questions. When they need to be asked, um, and uh, I'm ready. I'm all over the time. I got a whole bunch of stuff going on up there. Well, I was uh, I was also an impromptu session monitor this morning because the uh, the assigned monitor uh, did not show up, and every single time I looked at my phone while I was up there, I felt guilty. <laughs> oh, that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Well, you shouldn't. You, but you still did it. <laughs> I still did it, but I felt guilty. I just want you to know that I felt guilty. Well, we got a little feedback. I tried to do something there. And there we go. There we go. There we go. Um, so we have a special guest, Doctor. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome, Doctor. Doctor Deep Freeze, Doctor Deep Frozen. Doctor Freeze. Doctor Freeze. Um, how is? Oh, and uh, and more more oh. friends of the Potter are, are joining us. Spe here. Speaking of session monitors, here's the person that was actually monitoring that session. 
because she was looking at you and she's posing now. She looks like Vanna White. She was actually she was actually paying attention to the slides. No. But, but Renee Boyer is here. Did you did you get my text telling you to keep it down? No, I heard you laughing over there. Did you put it down? I asked if we could say, you know, suck it. You, you could totally say suck it. Oh, you mean like on the to, podcast? To the people next door. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like right now, keep it down? Fair enough. No, you, you can be loud as you want now. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Dr. Freeze, mm -hmm. how's, uh, how's your meeting going? Good. Well, did you see anything? Exciting. See anything new? See anything new and exciting here? Mm, new and exciting. <laughs> mm. Did go on a dinner cruise last night. Oh, tell us about the uh, dinner cruise. Um, we danced our butts off. It's fun. Good times. Not as good a time as uh, karaoke. <coughs> uh, absolutely true. Um, I think we've talked about this in, in the in past podcasts. It had. A group of us have a, tra a tradition, secret tradition, which is really no longer secret. <laughs> um, on the Tuesday night of the of the conference, we go to uh, sing karaoke, and uh, this year we found a place uh, that was uh, eight miles away, and uh, it was our own like individual room karaoke spot, and uh, we you could search um, <clears throat> electronically. Um, for all the songs they had, and they had very few songs. Uh, so we had to go through, we had, you had to be very selective. What was uh, the highlight of the evening? Highlight of the evening. Uh, Don uh, and I sang uh, Neil Young, Heart of Gold. Wow. Well, and by, by the, we sang Heart of Gold, what, what Ben means is that he sang into a microphone that worked, yeah. and I sang into a microphone that didn't work, and that was probably for the best. <laughs> I was going to say, was that on purpose? <laughs> no, it, it, I think it was needed a charge. I don't know. It was a very, it was a very weird place. It was. We, we ordered a drink that was described to us as a, a watermelon liqueur, <laughs> and, and it was just watermelon water that like it just tasted like watermelon juice, and then um, and then our, our good friend uh, Three Dub, uh, Wendy Wade White, uh, had to go uh, had to go purchase um, some vodka for it so we could add it in. But 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 I think the vodka was weird. Oh yeah. Because so I think the I think the deal with this place is they are only technically allowed to sell beer and wine. Oh. They're not allowed to sell hard liquor, and so. Everything that they sold, like the vodka, was made from wine, <laughs> which explains why it was weird. That's amazing. Yeah. So when I when, That's when, when I when I discovered when I discovered that I couldn't have bourbon, I just I just drank Stella beer. I had, so I had I had, I had uh, some great wine vodka last night. <laughs> was yeah it was on. Anyway, um, yeah we sang sang a lot of sang a lot of stuff. Um, Don uh, Don came out and, and sang. I, it, was, I, it was a highlight. It was it was it was a very odd room. Like it, it, there were benches around the outside of the room, table in the middle, and then a screen that was up um, in front of you. And then you had this remote where you could like dial through their lists and search. Um, and it was in Korean, uh, and so you had to like search for the. The search for the English part of the. Are you sure you were in Tampa? I don't know where we were. We were, we, I'm not, I, I, we might have been. Yeah, we might have been elsewhere. It was awesome though. It was, it was very notable. When I when we drove up, the Uber driver said, "Oh, I've always wondered what's in this place." <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, when my when my Uber driver dropped me, he said, 
are you sure this place is open? <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and Betsy Bin was also there. Her, her Uber arrived at the same time as mine, and her driver was, do you feel safe letting me drop you off here? So uh, anyway, it, but, it was, but everyone was safe. A good time was had by all. And uh, yeah, so, so if, you're in the, if you're ever in Tampa, uh, stop by Tampa Karaoke VIP and tell them uh, Food Safety Talk sent you. Yeah, get the, get the watermelon and, uh, and the uh, vodka wine. Sponsorship of this podcast? Uh, yeah, no, no, still no sponsors. <laughs> still do this. We do this just for fun. <laughs> Um, so, and so, uh, so Dr. Freeze, mm -hmm. I, I saw you yesterday on a panel. Oh yeah, you did. Um, it was, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a really cool panel. I enjoy, I like, I, round table's my favorite format. I've told Don that before. I like, um, I, I just like the free flowing conversation. Um, and my, I, I came into the panel a couple minutes late and, uh, um, friend, friend, not of, of the podcast or the pod, but actual friend of Don and, and mine, Guy Skinner, was there asking a question um, at the microphone that went into like someone holding a cat's butt over a pot, and and Guy has uh, dis decided that not decided, but he, he stated that what's really ruining uh, food safety is Facebook. Because uh, of all terrible uh, recipes. So anyway, the, I thought the discussion was really cool because um, the you know the. Did the, you the miss the best part about that? What, what what was the best part? What was he called by his friend on Facebook? Uh, the you 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 are dumb. Uh -huh. Y o u are dumb. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He did. That's true. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, the the panel was all about what do we. Uh, essentially, what do we do with consumers, right? Is that the yep. the gist of it? Well, how can government, industry, and academia work together to improve safe handling for consumers? Yes. And what did you guys discover, or what did you figure out? Um, it takes village. I you know. <laughs> it it was good. It, there was a lot of questions of why we couldn't actually do a better job of communicating consumers. Um, and rather interesting questions related to um, do we take food safety out of the hands of consumers? It, so, and part of the, the conversation, I can't remember who said it, but someone said no. And I don't think it was you, I think it was alone. And, and I think there's a lot of places where we already have. Like, and I, I look at, and I, uh, someone else mentioned this with, um, lactic acid that's added to deli meats. You know that that it's not there just because of um, you know it extends shelf life. It's it's there to really take that shelf life uh, expectation, holding it in a fr in a fridge for a week, out of the hands of consumers and and it retail. I mean, there's lots of applications, but but there are lots of places where we we have uh, taken foods and it, it's hard to give the the example of well, chicken's always going to have Campylobacter, and and it's always going to have salmonella and, uh, on it, or raw raw chicken. But there are lots of things where we've where we've done stuff. Well, and and my my comment was going to be, even in those kind of products, the industry has done a, a commendable job of bringing down prevalence and concentration. Um, in part be, because 
you know, consumers, even if the consumers properly cook that product, those products are still a source of cross-contamination. And in fact, from a risk perspective, that may be an even bigger source of contamination than improper cooking. So, so and, and the industry has, I think, very wisely gotten on board with that and realizes that there's no such thing as zero risk, but they're going to try to drive prevalence and concentration of those pathogens down in their products because it's good for their consumers. Yeah, the, also the interesting thing that came out of that was like, would consistent labeling be the magic bullet? Obviously that won't be the only magic bullet, but then there was a discussion of can't do consistent labeling unless every single package has that same labeling on it. And you can't do labeling without doing the companion education campaign. Right, right. Yeah, it can't just exist in a vacuum. And, and that'll be the, the magic bullet. I, labels, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm really skeptical and cynical, and I have a, a friend who, um, uh, Andy Bender, who talked about him on the podcast in the past, a colleague who I collaborate with at NC State, who you know, does communications research in labels and risk communication all over the place, and he's like, labels don't work. Like, like that's, and so it's kind of like, and to, to what Donna was talking about yesterday was it, kind of exactly that, where it, it labels on their own, but if they're part of uh, a targeted, integrated uh, message campaign, and that's, that's a much more expensive thing to do than change a label. So I enjoyed that. I thought that was good. I did too. Yeah, that was a good. good conversation. I thought there was going to be fireworks. I thought people were going to. I thought people might punch each other. I occasionally had to lighten the, you know, mood. You did. You know, you did. Little, blow up the government kind of comments. Blow up the government. That's that's just <laughs> nasty. Again, taken out of context. Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it could be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So so it was good. Um, Don, how about you? There, uh, what, what, have you what have you seen here at the uh, at the old IAFP annual meeting? Um, honestly, as always, I think the most exciting parts of the meeting are the ones that are not in the program. Uh, it's the discussions that we have uh, in the hallways, uh, thanks to, uh, in part to our guest, uh, but also in thanks in part to folks at FDA. I just had a really interesting conversation with some folks from um, the dried food industry who are interested in risk assessment for listeria in dried foods, because I don't know, I don't. I know our guest knows this, but, but Ben, I don't know how, how up to speed you are on what the FDA is doing um, with respect to listeria policy, but, but they're basically, um, on the one hand, they're trying to do the right thing and make the food supply safer. On the other hand, they're creating um, problems for the industry, and they're creating opportunities for me. <laughs> so uh, so thanks, to, uh, thanks, FDA, for, uh, um, for, for doing your best to, uh, to screw over the industry. No, uh, that's, that's not true. I mean, I mean that, that's, that's how the industry feels, I think. Uh, I, I know the, end, the FDA, that's not the intention of the FDA. Um, but... I mean, this whole idea of uh, zero tolerance and listeria, and um, I, I just I just think it's a bad idea. Um, but I understand that the agency is going down that road, um, and so uh, that's that's okay. Actually, I, and I'm th as, as I'm thinking about it now, um, I, I would say my favorite part of the um, because it 
always has to be all about me. My favorite part of the meeting was when favorite I asked. Part of you? What's that? Did you just say the favorite part of you or the meeting? The part, my favorite part of the meeting, <laughs> because because I have to make it all about me, yeah. is when I asked a question oh. um, of of the folks at FDA and USDA, and I and I phrased it and and so first of all, um, thanks uh, thanks to Mickey uh, Parrish, who I think sometimes listens for calling on me because he at first he said I don't know if I should call on you, but but I'm going to, and then I asked uh, I asked a question about the current state of affairs in Washington D.C. Um, and how that was, if, and I didn't mention anyone by name, um, and and uh, had very nice answers from, although the lady from FSIS accused me of trying to get her fired, I really wasn't. Um, but I, but I asked her, I asked them, you know, how they were dealing with the current uh, situation in Washington, which, uh, as we, you know, as you may know if you listen to the news, is it's there's a lot of distraction going on right now. Um, and they both gave really polished, very clever answers that explained how they were working with Congress to make sure that, that, that we kept the food supply safe. And so I thought it was it was really, really good answers. So uh, so that, that was also a favorite part of the meeting for me. Cool. Um, I, one of the one of the first talks that that I saw this this week was um, one on aquaponics. And so it, I don't, yeah, don't know if everybody knows what what that is. It's something that I've just been introduced to in the last couple of years. It's uh, sort of an integrated production system where you have um, seafood, usually some sort of a fish, and the fish waste is used to um, act as um, nutrient for um, some fresh produce, and it's all kind of like a contained, integrated, cyclical. Um, <clears throat> uh, system, and so uh, Michelle J. Russell, who who we both know, uh, gave a talk on um, force feeding a bunch of salmonella into fish. <laughs> I don't know if that, it's not like in a foie gras kind of way, <laughs> but but that's the way it looked. Like she's like, and here's here's how we got all the salmonella into the fish, and they looked like they'd like just like cut the side of the fish open and deposited some salmonella and then stitched it back up. But they're vets, and so I think it's okay. Um, and uh, and then they let the tilapia grow and grew, um, you know, and, and, and had to take them out because they grow at different times and sizes, and then um, had lettuce growing above this uh, above this system and looking for salmonella in the system. And so her her scope of the project was if you put salmonella in there at a couple of different concentrations. Does it does it stick? Can you still see it after forty days? Um, and yeah, you can. Not very much. And right right away, as you might expect, when you put a bunch of salmonella um, into the system, uh, the first couple of days you find it all over the place. Um, and later on, as you know, as dilution happens and as you know, die off happens, you, there's there's less. Um, I was really interested in the in the talk um, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, like I mentioned we we have some a, a couple of aquaponic producers in, in North Carolina that I've visited recently, um, and I, it, there's not a lot out there on the the sort of food safety um, crossover. But I uh, ran into um, Tori um, Stevens. Tori, don't think I'm thinking of Tori Spelling. Tori Spelling. It's not. It's a different. <laughs> the, th maybe you're thinking of Aaron Spelling. Charles in charge. Um, <laughs> Did, no, Tori, Tori Stivers, Tori Stivers from uh, University of Georgia, um, and we had a conversation about aquaponics a little more because I'm, what I'm interested in is this, this group in North Carolina, they're doing shrimp, 
and shrimp has uh, you're more likely to see vibrio with shrimp yeah. than you are with with fish, and so I'm like, how can you use that system? Are they freshwater? Yeah, freshwater, freshwater fish or shrimp. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so, um, so you know, I know we the I know we know quite a bit about uptake of pathogens um, in hydroponic systems when it comes to. Um, Shigatox produced E. coli and with salmonella, but I, I, you know, there's nothing out there on like Vibrio and fresh produce. It just doesn't happen like in, in a hydroponic system. So anyway, that was I, so it got that seeing that talk and then uh, seeing Tori got me sort of onto that um, thing. So now it's like my favorite thing. So I'll be talking about it for for a long time. Well, so my uh, flaw with that initial study would be one. Tilapia naturally have salmonella. Uh, yeah, there's. The, they are the most. Li- that's the most likely pathogen to be associated with them. There's a review paper that. And uh, so up. there is an association with tilapia and mm-hmm. salmonella. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Yeah, I don't know naturally, but in uh, aquaponic systems. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and there's, there's second, been one outbreak. Um, the choice of lettuce. Well, lettuce is tip- typically what's grown in those aquaponic systems. Generally, you see a, a, an affinity with pathogens and certain types of produce. Right, right. But because this is a, a different closed system, that's what they're seeing. That's what they're, yeah, that's what they're looking at. That's, yeah. That's, um, most of the aquaponics systems that I've seen are usually a combination of tilapia and, um, and, and lettuce and maybe fresh herbs. And, yeah, so they're like. The question is why? Why, are you, why do you do it? Yeah, why? Oh, because people buy it. <laughs> right? <laughs> is it like training ground for like certain developing nations? Or Oh, no, it... no. This, it, it is like a um, direct, the, the ones that, and there's not many out there, but the ones that, I, that I've seen, um, it's a marketing uh, uh, tool. It's a, a, what's described as a very sustainable system because any of the waste that's generated from the fish is used as nutrient. Um, it conserves water in both the production streams. I mean, this is just what, what you know, I, I think there's probably cases in, on both sides of this um, on, on how efficient they are and how sustainable it is. Uh, but at least the producer that, that I've visited recently in the Charlotte area, he, he's tied in with uh, a bunch of restaurants that are like, we, get, we get our stuff from this guy, and we get that fantastic tilapia, and guess what? Right above his tilapia, you grew that uh, that lettuce, and everybody pays big big dollars for it. Is the lettuce fishy tasting? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Is the fish lettuce t- tasting is probably a better? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I guess you could have that. <laughs> so, so I've I've confirmed that our friend uh, from uh, Sea Grant uh, in Georgia is Tori Stivers. Yes, that's what I said. Tori. Okay, well, I, I, I and I, I can't. I wanted to link to her talk in the program, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Oh find no, it's it, not so. Tori's talk. It was uh, Michelle J. Russell. Oh, and I already linked to. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was just a random. Thing. Just a random. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah. So I've we'll we'll and we'll link to Tori's profile, Tori's Tori's profile, and uh, we'll also link to Michelle's uh, talk. And and I also want to mention for anybody who is listening to this, 
and who did not attend the annual meeting, but if they are an IAFP member, um, if the authors gave permission, the, the recordings, there will be recordings posted of all of the talks. And, uh, and, those, and those talks will include uh, slides that advance. Uh, you won't be able to see the presenter, but you can hear what they're saying, and you can see the slides advance. Uh, and if you are listening to this and you're really interested and you're not an IAFP member, then I suggest that you spend the 50 bucks and, and you join IAFP, because it's a no-brainer. Yeah, be a member and, and check it out. We've got the paparazzi have arrived. <laughs> um, so what else is going on, uh, Dr. Freeze? My best thing about this show, I think, is when y'all do the... The podcast? When we do the podcast? podcast is that the best? Too. Oh, that's so good. the second best is the statements out of context. So what do you call that? Mm. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> IAFP No Context. Yeah, there's a Twitter feed called IAFP No Context. I don't know who it is. I, I don't either. <laughs> but I do love to hear some of those things. Yeah, it's, I, I have a lot of fun uh, with that. Uh, reading those. Um, I think I made the list like yesterday. Yeah, yes, yes you did. Um, well, maybe it's not attributed to me, but... Uh, it, it, you definitely made the list. I that's because, because, because that's his, it's right there in the name, no context. Yeah, <laughs> that's just nasty. And a monkey's uncle. Yeah, a monkey's uncle. Yeah, check out, it's uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, this this thing popped up and it's uh, it's just grown like just like it's wildfire. Trending. Yeah, it's, it's trending. Yeah, hashtag trending. <laughs> um. So so we have I mean we we've got a, a, an official guest spot here. And we have other people in the room, and we haven't sort of. Uh, and it's not a requirement, not a requirement that you're in the room that you come and be in the guest spot, but you are welcome to. And and then you just have to let us know whether you want to be anonymous or identified. Yeah. And then we. And if you if you want to be anonymous, then you get to pick up your co pick out your code name. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right. So, who uh, who is, it, is does someone else want to want to join us? I like your shirt. You like my shirt? Thank you. It's, uh, it's for those who can't see it, which is everybody, except for the five people in the room, six, seven people in the room. Is uh, It says 160 is good. It's purple. Uh, it's uh, part of the uh, Shigatoxin producing E. coli in beef grant, uh, cap grant uh, project that it was on. And, and as we've discussed, the uh, thermometer is coming in from the side in the proper way. Uh, that uh, the thermometer there? Oh, I, okay. That that everyone everyone would approve of, including uh, Carl Custer. Including Carl Custer and Pete Snyder. And Pete Snyder. Yeah. Um, oh, Pete. And. And I, while we're talking about shirts, I want to point out that I am wearing a podcast T-shirt, uh, but it is not for our podcast. It is for another podcast. Um, it's called Accidental Tech Podcast, and it's a very lovely shirt. And and so my my wife said, I didn't like your shirt. I said, <laughs> really it's okay. I, it's okay. It's okay. I, but I wanted. So I, this is a good story. So I, I'm getting dressed in the morning, and my wife says, uh, "Are you out of white T-shirts?" And I like, I said, "No. Um, I'm doing a podcast today, so I'm wearing a podcast T-shirt." And she's like, "Is it for your podcast?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No." She says, "Well, shouldn't you be wearing your T-shirt for your podcast?" And I said, "No, that would be tacky." Yeah, yeah. That's do you like, have T-shirts? We we yeah we do we we need to we need to get on that we need to make another another uh, run of, of orders. Yeah, we have we uh, we did a short a short batch a few years ago uh, and uh, gave them away to some some friends. Proceeds go to? Uh, they were they were paid for. Uh, there was no they were free. 
Oh. Yeah, they're, they're giveaways. And, and yeah, and I'm thinking this, maybe what we should do this time is just like uh, like go to one of those t-shirt vending companies and then the, pro the proceeds in that case would go to the t-shirt vending companies. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Or we could charge a premium and then give it to the foundation. Excellent, yeah. And everyone who's in the room, we'll, uh, we'll take notes, we'll get you guys some, some t-shirts and then donate to the foundation. Special guest. Special guest, special guest. Yeah, friends, friend of the pod. We can't use friend of the pod because I stole it from another podcast. Cast, and, friend, friend of the pod, cast. Um, so do we, to, do we have another guest? Yeah, we have another guest. So you have to, you have to move off the couch here. No. <laughs> One last thing. Yes. So you can arm wrestle. I'm on three <laughs> you, you, you gotta throw me off. Um, the the Florida Association, uh -huh. the local chapter. Their presentation was quite memorable. <laughs> yeah, and let's let's. Could, could someone fill me in on it? Yeah, so let's so let's hope uh, let's hope that it makes it onto uh, onto the internet. But basically, um, the uh, Florida Association does a skit every year um, in the context of providing a foundation donation. They perform this skit at the business meeting. If you have if you don't go to the IAFP uh, business meeting, you're really missing out. Um, and so this year, uh, they put um, our current president on trial, which is a common uh, recurring theme. Um, uh, they did not make her wear a costume, uh, apparently because she refused to wear a costume in advance. Um, but they did put her on trial for uh, for for cruelty to nuts uh, because she has done a lot of research uh, with nuts, and it was hilarious um, and uh, and 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 well well enjoyed by. Everybody. Everybody in the room. Were there, a nice donation to the foundation. Yes. Well, most importantly, were there lots of uh, entendres, double and triple entendre, nut, nut entendres? This, the, there were. There were. There were many nut entendres. Including the costumes, you know, almond bar, uh, mound bar, nuts, no nuts. <laughs> I saw a judge out there. I guess there was, there was a judge. judge. It was from Two the trial. There was a judge and a executioner and. Serious? Two very British-like lawyers with their nice white wig. I thought we is that is that because of Brexit? I don't know, but um, yes, Linda did mention that it was a very British thing. Excellent. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. She she did comment on the the inappropriateness of the costumes of the lawyers, uh, indicating that they were Canadian or they were British. But but this was in the United States, and so therefore that was out of that was inappropriately uh, in in oh, context. Yeah. Yeah, those are with the wigs and black black uh, suits and everything. All right, so I'm gonna leave my guest spot. <laughs> Well, for I wish I had a, an applause. Our button. lovely next guest. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Dr. Freeze. As always, it's great to great to catch up. It's great to be here. Oh. All right, we have we have another guest who's ready in the wings. Who's who's rapidly approaching the, uh, and, and the it, couch, the guest couch? Whether yet she's uh, decided what her well, well she, name she is. can she can introduce herself, yep. and then we'll know whether she's incognito or not. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm happy to be here. First time joiner. <laughs> so very excited to be here. Um, you could call me Pops. Pops. <laughs> Pops is here. All right, Pops. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Pops, uh, do you want to tell tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what you do in the uh, in the food safety world? So I'm really passionate about food preparation, 
And every day I make it a task of mine to ensure that my family has a safe and wholesome meal. Excellent. You know, I have a code, unique phrase saying that's just to me. What, what is that? Don't mess with bad chicken. Don't mess with bad, bad chicken. That is, that's fantastic pops. Um, are there uh, are there certain things that you uh, that you do in, in the home that that, uh, that maybe some of your family members would like to put on the internet? What's the internet? Ah, <laughs> you know, but I, I do a lot for them, and you know, I, I think my home is their home and a model of efficiency. <laughs> Did you know that you could use your camping trailer as a defrost guide? You know, a little chicken in the sun. I heard on Fox News the UV kills everything. <laughs> well, there you go, and I'm sure that's not fake news because it's Fox News. Fox News. We know that they they are they are one of the only news outlets that does not have fake news. Heard that. Um, <laughs> so, are there are there some uh, some other good uh, good tips for us? Uh, is what if I was um, you know if I only have one cutting board, what what should I do? Use it for your chicken, your tomato, and very good spot to lay down your knife so that you don't get the counter dirty. Oh, good, good, excellent. Don't, yeah. We would, that's why we have the cutting boards. Right, right. We don't want to get the counter dirty. <laughs> then we'd have to use that white cloth to wipe it down. Yeah. Pops, uh, you've got a you've got a Twitter feed, I think, don't you? Yes, I do. What's, what is it? It's for those who want to follow Pops on Twitter. Love my bago. <laughs> Love my bago. Excellent. Well, well, we will be sure to link to that. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll confirm. Uh, we'll, we'll confirm that. It'll be in, yeah, it'll be in show notes uh, for sure. Oh, good. Well, have you enjoyed, Pops? You enjoyed uh, hanging out with all these food safety nerds at this meeting? Learn anything new? Lots of big words going around this year. What, what do you got? Uh, metagenomics. Metagenomics. That was a good one. Yeah, learned a lot about that. <laughs> Excellent. And I, I want to say for the record um, that Pops looks exactly like um, her picture on her Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I look, I, we'll, we'll, we'll check that out. Oh, there's Pops. Yeah, there's Pops. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I expected from the picture you'd have a deeper, more gravelly voice. <laughs> grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> You, Pops, you and Don can talk about some things. Is Don, um, Don put up a, uh, he used to have people cut through his uh, front yard, and he put up a fence, like literally, that says, get off my lawn. Why didn't you just shoot them? I, my wife wouldn't let me. I wanted to. I was, I was very, I was really close to ordering a wrist rocket on, on Amazon uh, and so I could, like, shoot them with the wrist rocket. I still may. That Amazon. <laughs> Produce and rockets is a great place. Yeah, rocket is that a? That's it. I think that's what they call lettuce in the UK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> well, great pops. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Thanks Dropping for in. Me. Like, uh, yeah, uh, always, uh, always excellent to have uh, to have guests. So, thanks. Thank you. Any, anything else you want you want to say? No. No. No, pops. I got this. Pops. Up. All right. Thanks, pops. So. There are there are some some other uh, um, listeners and friend, friends of the podcast uh, in in the room. So if anybody feels like they'd like to come up and chat, um, feel free. But no pressure, because um, we've we've got other stuff that we can talk about. 
And while we're while we're, we're waiting for our audience to decide what they want to do, I do. I, we actually have some. So, for those of you that are keeping track, careful careful track, and and counting dates, and 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 you and trying to triangulate our position, um, the um, uh, we just recorded an episode. And so, uh, what, so what we usually do is after we record an episode, um, uh, we'll put stuff into a Dropbox folder to talk about, and then stuff accumulates. I put stuff in over the two week time period, and then right in the last like few minutes before we record, Ben puts a whole bunch of stuff in there. But there hasn't been enough time uh, for either of us to put much in. But we, we have a great, great con uh, 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 comment um, from a listener, uh, Evan, uh, Evan Steiner, uh, who says, uh, please share all details freely. Um, and he, he says, a friend of the pod, uh, Evan Steiner here, I have to say, Evan, it's a podcast, it's not a pod. If it was anything, if it was one of those words, it would be a cast, because uh, the pod is the device that you listen to. But anyway. I feel like I'm uh, I'm fighting an uphill battle on that yeah, one. Yeah. Um, so uh, he says I found my way to this podcast through Merlin. So so thanks a big shout out to Merlin Mann, um, who's been a guest here at IAFP um, and a guest on the podcast before. So thanks uh, thanks Merlin um, for promoting the podcast. Um, and so Evan writes, let me tell you, I never thought uh, this is something I choose to listen to, but you guys are funny and engaging, and I find myself drawn into every new episode. Evan, I think you're just sucking up, but that's a very nice thing for you to say. So, um, okay, says so I'm a recent friend of the podcast, uh, um, so maybe you've covered this in the past, but it's something I find myself wondering about. I'm a Blue Apron subscriber, so they send me a shipment of meat weekly, fish, chicken, beef, pork, you name it. Given that I will consume this stuff over the course of about seven days, should I be freezing it upon receipt, or is simple refrigeration enough to last the week? Does it vary by type of meat? So far, the meats we've received have been vacuum sealed. My wife contends that this makes refrigeration acceptable for at least a week. I'm not exactly convinced, but I have to say that the additional step of defrosting makes these meal delivery services less appealing. So I've definitely got some opinions on this. Do you want to take a first crack at it? Yeah. So. Uh the first thing that I, I so I'm not a Blue, Blue Apron subscriber. I don't, um, and I know that you you've subscribed to, yep. to yep. Blue Apron. Yeah, we, we, I'm a current subscriber. So I didn't know that they're in, um, vacuum sealed, or is that something that is pretty common in the? Yeah, I'm th so we've I've only been a Blue Apron subscriber for a fairly short period of time, and I'm trying to remember. I think virtually every meat that we received was in uh, was in a, a an airtight vacuum sealed. Pouch like of some sort. Package. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, not ROP um, because there was no gas, but it was it was vacuum. Oh, okay. So so it's all yeah. like like tightly sucked yeah, down. Yeah. I'm making emotions with so my hands, vacuum. which which is useless on the podcast. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it's good for the people in the audience. Um, so I that so that that was the first thing that was that I was drawn to on, on this because I didn't I didn't realize that and we I mean we buy um, meat at the grocery store sometimes that is also vacuum sealed uh, or you know, or ROP. Um, and and I guess like the you know when we when we look at ROP products and when I work with uh, folks in in retail and restaurants, there's a concern over like two two pathogens really for for that type of product. We've got um, since you've got a low oxygen or at least reduced oxygen um, area, you've got the chance for higher chance for anaerobic. Um, and so both bot and, and listeria um, can, you know, can be issues. And, and I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think I told the story on the podcast um, in the past, maybe not, but I, one, soon after I started at NC State, I got invited to um, a discussion of a scientific 
panel of the Partnership for Food Safety Education, which is a little bit surprising because I post on Barf Blog a lot about their messages and being a little bit um, uh, a, a little bit uh, critical of them. So they invited me in, and um, I met a couple of people from from FDA who had a lot of history in. Um, consumer handling and one of them mentioned that they were around at FDA in the mid 80s when home vacuum sealing became like popular like it became something that you could do uh, that the the price of the equipment went down so so people did and, and there were these like the way he described it was like there were all these meetings people going crazy thinking everyone's gonna get botulism from this you know process for because of consumer um, refrigerators and just the temperature variation. And there's some great work from um, Kathy Costa at, at RTI about 10 years ago, um, looking at uh, home consumer or home refrigerators and, and showing like a lot of refrigerators in the U.S. Um, over you know eight degrees Celsius or you know nine degrees Celsius. So so anyway. Why I'm saying this is, it, I, I, we haven't seen those bot cases, right? Like it just hasn't hasn't occurred. We don't, and that was that's one. It's not like norovirus where there's underreporting. You don't have a whole lot of underreporting of bot. <laughs> there's right. It's pretty. You pretty much know that you get it. I mean, it's possible that you might miss a case or two if it gets misdiagnosed as stroke or something. But anytime that there's you know two cases presenting same symptoms in the same hospital, uh, they're they're going to pick it up. Yeah. So. So it hasn't. So I guess I'm I'm less worried about a whole bunch of ROP packaging in people's refrigerators with high high temperatures, um, just from public health history. But it's a delivery service, and I the transport to me I think is one of these um, uh, black black hole you know type of things. So when they come, when Blue Apron gets to you, Don, is it refrigerated or is it frozen? Like, that, or is it midway? How does it? What well, does it look so like? so that's a really good question, and we should broaden the discussion. I think there was a session at IAFP where yeah. um, my our colleague Bill Holman, um, a colleague for, of mine from at from Rutgers University, gave gave a talk on this. And so, um, and I, I have to say, I have been. Um, so what I've done, Ben, is when the Blue Apron stuff has arrived, um, I have checked the temperature. Um, but do you, do you do you <laughs> wait 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 for it wait for it? Do you know how I've checked the temperature? Uh, with your no, <laughs> I'm not even. It's whatever I was about to say is totally not appropriate. Not um, I um I used uh, I used that that famous um, uh, approach, cool to the touch. Oh, cool. <laughs> still cool to the touch. Which uh, which Dr. Holman uh, specifically called out in his in his remarks as being not the right thing to do. Yeah. So uh, I confess to being lazy. Um, I did feel uh, I did feel the, uh, the 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 food and it felt uh, cool to the touch. Um, I have to say though, also Blue Apron is very very good about providing. Um, gel packs. They provide a massive amount of gel packs. And so let me explain for those that you that haven't gotten Blue Apron, um, the way that the food is packaged is typically there are uh, gel packs in the bottom. Now I'm trying to remember now. Um, there's there's gel packs in the bottom, um, and then the meat is directly above that, or maybe the, and I, I apologize. The meat is below that, and then the fresh produce stuff is on top. But in every single case, when those foods arrived, the gel packs were barely thawed, huh. right? So there was a little bit of loose uh, that loose uh, liquid in the gel packs, but there were still a significant part of the gel pack was was solid. So 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 it was there was good enough temperature control that that was the case. Um, I don't, 
I don't know now, and I'll have to be more careful in the future, I don't know whether the meat was still partially frozen when it arrived, and I don't know whether they ship uh, uh, frozen or, or, or raw um, or, or refrigerated. Um, I do know in the work that, that Dr. Hallman did um, uh, ordering foods over the internet, and I have to say not Blue Apron, right? Like that, that project was strictly confined, despite some misreporting um, by Food Safety News and others, um, or mis- um, miscommunication uh, there um, that these um, uh, these products that we that we tested uh, through the grant were um, meat and poultry and seafood um, but not meal preparation uh, meal companies like like Blue Apron so um, but in many cases those products were uh, shipped frozen and so which of course from a food safety perspective is going to be is going to be helpful um, but I thought it was very interesting um, thinking uh, back to uh, to Evan's comment um, is that his uh, his wife thought that um, th since the meats are vacuum sealed refrigeration is acceptable and so she uh, and, and again the first thing I saw vacuum packaged I think botulism same as you um, but but uh, Evan's wife, uh, her thing is well, they're vacuum packaged, so therefore it, they don't have to be frozen, which is which is different than let's say a food safety professional would look at it. So, um, so so the advice uh, the advice that I would get, and I gave a, a brief email response to Evan, um, and I'll just repeat it here um, for those of you who are listening who are not Evan, <laughs> um, and that is that um, my advice is if you're going to use it up within a week, that's probably sufficient, um, and and you shouldn't uh, you don't you don't need to freeze it. Um, that that if you refrigerate and we, what we try to do, so so our our Blue Apron, uh, we have scheduled to come on Monday, and then uh, almost always by by Friday we've used it up. So I would say, you know, in my house we use it within five days. You could probably go stretch it out to seven days, but I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go much beyond that. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that would be that would be my advice on that. And I don't I don't know how that squares with what what say what FDA or USDA is recommending. I think that they probably recommend probably only a couple of days at refrigeration. So yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think you're. I think you're right. Um, I, so, just you know, coming back to the to the bot discussion, I, I also don't know, and I don't know if you know the the ship time, right? Like, is it is it overnight? Is it three days? Like, how? What? So, is there a chance there for temperature abuse? In, in you know, the obviously, it sounds like yours is coming in with really still good gel packs, but cool to the touch. Yeah, cool to the touch, as they say. Um, but or is it you know because because we know with um, with anything you know we've got time and temperature are factors here and if it's not you know if 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 it's a not a very long time then I would be less worried about that. Right, and so, and I'm just looking up a, I'm just looking up the, uh, the most recent Blue Apron delivery. Um, so, like I said, we, uh, you can choose, uh, you can choose the, the date. Uh, we chose ours to come, we choose ours to come on Monday. And so, uh, for example, um, uh, the most recent one, it looks like. Um, uh, let's see. So, and I have to say too, the other thing that's different about Blue Apron, and it, this may differ depending upon where you get your Blue Apron. So, uh, the Blue Apron that we get, um, it is handled by a company called LaserShip. So, it is it is not UPS, FedEx, um, or the Postal Service. So, it is it is a separate, it's a different company. Um, and they, so it says, shipment information received by LaserShip on 6:30. Uh, laser ship origin scan in, and so that's 
Yeah, and that just says location U.S. It doesn't give a specific location. And then it says uh, East Brunswick, New Jersey on 7-2-2017, and then um, uh, at uh, 8-41 p.m., and then the next morning, 7-3 uh, at 6-25 a.m. It's loaded onto the vehicle. And for those of you um, who don't know New, New Jersey geography, um, uh, New Brunswick, or East Brunswick is only uh, probably a 30 minute uh, or 45 minute car ride unless there's traffic because it's New Jersey. Um, so so 6.25 a.m. out for delivery um, and then left at the front door at 3.31 p.m. same day. So, and, and my sense is, because they're using this company called LaserShip, my sense is that they have temperature control along the way. Um, and I don't, I'm trying to remember um, when I've seen the vehicle drive up to the door, um, which has happened, which happens on occasion. I'm trying to remember whether it looks like a refrigerated vehicle, and I don't think it is, but it might have been stored refrigerated overnight in East Brunswick, and I'm just not not aware of that information. And then, of course, I don't know, um, 6.30 to 7.02, six, you know, uh, June 30th to, to July 2nd, I don't know, like, again, how that, how that was being handled um, in, that, in that time period. But again, if it's certainly if it's under the control of a common carrier, um, there is no temperature control. I don't know the, the situation with this uh, laser ship company. Yeah, okay. So, well, so that's a long, long non-answer to your question. No, I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But it tells a little more about the about the process. So and actually, I'm a little surprised at the length. I mean, it, it, you know, so it's um, you know that's sh shipped over the weekend, um, right? And so yeah, it left on Friday and it got to you on Monday afternoon. Right, right, and that's and that's just. I mean, I suppose if we ordered Tuesday delivery uh, or Wednesday, and again, it, it's a constraint of how how our meal schedule goes. Like, for example, we originally thought we'd get them on Friday, um, but the problem with us getting it on Friday is which do we typically go out to eat on the weekends, and so that now the Blue Apron is sitting in our fridge over the weekend. So I would rather get it on Monday, and then we have the week uh, where we're going to prepare those meals. So that's just a personal preference, and that that obviously impacts how they deliver stuff, and the fact that you know typically delivery companies aren't working on Sunday. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go, Evan. I think we're, yeah, keep it, keep it in the fridge. Keep it for a week. Yep. Um, hey, Don. Ben. Do you, uh, when you, all the times that you get food poisoning, right? You get a lot. All the times, yep. All the, uh, someone, someone tweeted. All the best times. At the, uh, at IAFP No Contacts yesterday, um, you're good for three, um, in three diet case, diarrhea cases a year, like in anything, anything over three is I think when you start to get worried. Uh, I don't know what that meant. Um, anyway, so all the foods, all the food poisoning you get, is it always the last thing you ate? Because oh. life, life hacker just told me no. Well, I always thought it was the last thing. Well, you know, and so we again thanks to a listener for for pointing us towards Lifehacker. So yes, there was a recent Lifehacker article, uh, and Lifehacker uh, dispelled the myth, uh, helpfully dispelled the myth that foods poisoning is is not the last thing you ate, except that as usual with like ha like half like life, life hacker, as as opposed to like. Haffer, which is a different, completely different website. Um, uh, Life Hacker got some of the details on this wrong. So, so Ben, tell us about this Life Hacker story. Oh, so well, um, you know, when you get so-called food poisoning, it's almost never the last thing you ingested. As Dr. Deborah Fisher, gastroenterologist, professor at Duke University, explains to New York Times, the cause is probably the thing before the last thing you ate, which is not really because. 
I mean, I ate three things yesterday, and if I got sick, it was probably, so I have to think back, it's like, no, it's the middle one. No, it's, I mean, it's really kind of oversimplifies things, right? Like, I think the point they were trying to make here is it takes time, and they do link to um, a nice, uh, um, a nice FDA chart about, um, that we'll link to in the in the show notes, which goes through multiple organisms and talks about on uh, average onset time after ingestion, you know, for Bacillus cereus, starting at Bacillus cereus and going all the way to Vibrio vulnificus uh, from uh, B to V, um, but you know, showing various various times. Um, so they at least gave that sort of more more information. The other thing that I thought was kind of odd about this article is um, really confusing. The issue of digestion and infection, we're dedicating a whole bunch of space here to bowel transit time, which is not uh, not the you know <laughs> right um, and uh, and just the the nuances of where that matters for some pathogens and where it doesn't matter for other things, and then really missing the entire aspect of ingesting toxins. Right, and so if I was gonna write this article, I would have written a contrast between the times when it is the last thing that you ate and the times that it's not. And uh, and again, they do link to that very, very helpful FDA article, but they apparently did not read it, which shows that uh, onset time from consumption for Staph aureus is one to six hours. But but what I absolutely love about this uh, about this post um, is I love the graphic, okay? And for, again, so, so please go look at the graphic. Um, but basically, it's a naked white dude um, with long hair and a beard who is sitting on the toilet, and he's holding a bucket in front of his face, um, and he's obviously uh, going at both ends, and uh, the bucket is strategically placed over his nether regions. Um, so, so props to Lifehacker for for that graphic, but but uh, thumbs down on getting the facts right for food safety. It's, yeah, it's a it's a painting by <laughs> Roy Blumenthal. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's yeah, uh, so. I was, I, who I clicked on his Flickr page, and he has other um, great types of paintings. Well, well, we'll be sure to link to uh, uh, LeBroy's uh, painting uh, Flickr feed as well. He's my new favorite artist. <laughs> um, he, in fact, had, where's my other favorite one? Uh, here. Uh, he has a, a painting of uh, another, maybe the same white dude. It actually might be him. It might be him, yeah. Um, with no shirt on, uh, carrying a chainsaw in a what looks like he's going to fight a ninja turtle. So that's pretty. Oh, very good, very good. Well, well, props, uh, props to Roy. I wonder how, how if, if he did that. I wonder how he, he probably if if that's a self portrait and he has food, po he probably didn't do it when he had food poisoning. No. Probably not. <laughs> um, he probably did that like at a different time. You, I mean, don't paint in your bathroom. Yeah. Right. Or I mean, paint the bathroom, but don't. It's not. <laughs> what are you trying to say, man? Not. I don't know. I don't, nothing. Nothing. Um, yeah. So so we had the life life hacker stuff. Um, I, my you know my favorite my favorite Thursday read came out on Thursday last week. MMWR. MMWR. You know, you know they sent me a mug. I like to I like to read this one. They sent me a mug and a letter saying. Barflog's one of our favorite uh, uh, publications as well, and uh, and I drink out of my MMWR mug all the time. No, they've never sent us a podcast a, a gift for the podcast. No, and I want to say to the lovely folks at MMWR uh, and the CDC. Um, you, you don't have a very good podcast. We've talked about it before on our podcast, but I would really love it if you would send me a mug. Yeah. Because I'm very jealous. Every time Ben mentions his mug, I'm very jealous. The mug, the mug's the best. So 
Um, in MMWR uh, this this week uh, or last week, I guess it was. Uh, something new popped up for me, Don. What was that? Walrus. Oh. You ever see anybody get sick from walrus before? I, I love a good walrus food poisoning story. Wow. There's two two outbreaks and uh, fun fun one combo of the pathogen. What would you expect to uh, to it, walrus to have to make you sick? Well, if it was here. if it was fermented walrus, huh? I don't have a bell, so I would <laughs> if it was if it was fermented uh, walrus, it would be botulism. It would be botulism. It's not fermented. It's raw walrus. Trichinosis. Yeah. So two outbreaks uh, in Alaska in uh, 2016 and, and 17, um, and uh, both linked to undercooked or raw uh, walrus. And and I guess my. Um, Favorite thing about this is is the detail of the second outbreak. So the walrus consumed during the implicated meal in the second outbreak had been harvested and butchered by patients F and I during the previous one to three months, and the meat had been stored frozen in unlabeled bags in the respective household chest freezers. The meat was prepared by patient H, who reported that she boiled it for approximately one hour, after which the exterior was fully cooked but the interior remained undercooked or raw, which is the desired result. That, that is the, the process. That's how someone would eat walrus. Um, so interviewed persons reported that many community members prefer the taste and texture of undercooked or raw walrus meat uh, to well, that of fully does, cooked. Doesn't, anyone, doesn't everyone? Does, I, I, guess, I guess so. In that community and all the communities. Um, but I just thought that was like fascinating that the, just the process of it, it's like we want it frozen, and then we're gonna boil it for an hour. Like it must be some mass that is sitting in there and not cooking on the on the inside after an hour of boiling. It must have been must it's got. I mean, or, or you have the biggest pot in the world. Uh, Doctor Freeze is she's got a question. She, she, I think she's gonna tell me about Southern Walrus preparation. <laughs> Don't give away her identity, Ben. No one knows that she's from the South. <laughs> I thought the actual treatment to help with trichinella is actually freezing. Um, right, like the freezing process inactivates yeah. the, the cysts. Yeah. Guess not. Well, it has to be for a certain amount of time, so maybe it wasn't frozen long enough? In one to three months? That would do it, I would think. Uh, but I guess, I don't know, I, we'll, have to, we'll have to deal I with that. I think we need to investigate for it. Yeah, let's, let's investigate that for you. Well, speaking of speaking of pathogens um, that begin with the letter T, um, I uh, I want to uh, and again and sort of yeah, yeah. flashing what is this like sesame? Street? It is. Yeah, it is. This, um, this outbreak was brought to you by the letter T. <laughs> <laughs> so, flashing back to our earlier discussions about um, things that we liked about the meeting, I uh, I had an impromptu opportunity to uh, chair a session, which made me stick around because apparently you had to stick around if you're going to chair a session. Oh, we were talking about this, and I felt guilty for being on my phone. Um, but um, a really good presentation called Prioritizing Pig Farms in the Netherlands to Reduce Foodborne Disease Burden of Toxoplasma gondii. It's a really cool pre presentation by uh, Martin uh, Blonecht from uh, Vion in the Netherlands, uh, who, who did his PhD uh, with Ari Havilar at RIVM before Ari left to come to Florida. Um, and uh, just a really cool uh, risk modeling uh, presentation looking at, uh, again, my, my other favorite pathogen that begins with the letter T. So. Mine too. That, that actually, toxin is my favorite pathogen that begins with T. Not trichinella. No. 
No, Toxo is bad. bad. A lot of people get sick from Toxo. You know, it's, it's my fa- like favorite, you know, yeah. like yeah. one that I, yeah, I think it's uh, merging, it's, merging issue. There's, uh, I, I've cited this paper. I use it all the time. It's not just because Mike Batts is, uh, is a friend of the podcast. Ding. Yeah. Um, but uh, Batts wrote this uh, paper uh, back in 2011, 2012, looking at disease burden and uh, did all of his fancy qualies and Raleigh's and dollies and, and the dollies. Salvador dollies. And, uh, and, and, you know, made, made the magic of the numbers come up and, and sort of uh, lists toxo pork combination is the second highest disease burden for foodborne illness in the U.S., and I don't think we talk about it enough. Yeah, and, and this guy from the Netherlands basically says the same thing about European, and that's why that they studied this. Uh, they know that the to- pork in the Netherlands is a big source of toxo, and really fascinating uh, research on how do you figure out, like they figured out something like 50% of the high levels of toxo come from 5% of the farms, and oh, so wow. it's a real sweet spot where they can, like, so, okay, so and now, but now the problem is that they've identified which farms are high risk, but now they have to go and look for risk factors on those farms, right? And it turns out, um, um, not really a surprise. It, preliminary in, in information indicates rodents on the farms, cats on the farms, um, uh, that those are, uh, are risk factors for, uh, for toxo, uh, for having high prevalence in the herds. Well, what's the risk factors for consumer exposure? Uh, Undercooked. But, but just, like, just like walrus meat, that's how people like their pork, apparently, in other countries well, anyway. So I, I actually... That's why southerners overcook their pork. Well, so... But the thing with Toxo is it's not very heat stable. It's not one that you have to cook very much. Like you can, you're not inactivating at like 130. So I actually think that the risk factor, it, it, it's probably more likely cross contamination. We did a real like, and I, I hesitate to even call this a study because I didn't run it through IRB. Um, but we did, but there's a reason why we didn't cover it because we're not publishing it and it's part of a class, but I had a bunch of students that... I think you still have to run this through IRB, then. No, 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 I, I talked okay. to IRB. We didn't, it, we didn't have okay. to get right. approval, but um, it, it was part of a, uh, part of a class um, where we, I taught um, some students how to do observation, and they did observation in uh, consumers' homes in Raleigh, only five of them, only focusing on pork handling. And, and the way that we sort of code things for... Um, when we do observations, is like you, you record all the actions. Where did stuff go? What? Who moved what? And then you group them later, and you say, oh, that was a cross-contamination event. And then once that happens, I'm holding my hands up in the air here for everyone in the room. Once that happens, you can say, oh, well, there's potential transfer for multiple things afterwards. And so they... Um, Undercooking wasn't wasn't a thing that they saw in this n equals five for this class, uh, but they saw a, saw a ton of cross contamination. Post cooking, uh, post cooking and pre cooking. Well, but but isn't toxo in the muscle? Uh, yeah. So how but, uh, what what does cross contamination matter? Well, no, but it's all it's in the muscle at, at the much higher levels. But if you look at um, like a raw sausage. Uh, product that's ground and any of the juices. Okay. So yeah, it's um, you can still it's still recoverable uh, elsewhere. It's just much much more con- it's actually much more concentrated in the glands. Okay. And so and these people that you studied um, were I, they? We didn't want to know. We didn't study them. Oh, these people <laughs> that you didn't study? Yeah, the but you we observed because it wasn't real research. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what were they? What were they m- m- not making in their? Kitchens you didn't go to. Um, yeah, no, yeah. They, they they did make things that, that we went to and watched. Um, okay, they made uh, raw fresh sausage and okay. uh, pork tenderloin. So all right, so so certainly, if you are grinding sausage, yes, you are exposing the inner parts, and there could be cross contamination. But again. W- 
Uh, and again, I know you didn't enumerate in this study, but but when you look at numbers of, of toxo in positive pieces of pork, what um, what kind of concentrations do you get? Because yeah, I, yeah, I don't I don't really I don't know the answer to that, but I know okay. that um, our our friends John Lachansky and Anna Portofet are doing some of that work with toxo infected meat um, that they that, that people that people grow in uh, at another USDA ARS uh, group in, in Beltsville. Okay. So there, yeah, I don't, yeah, that's, I think it's a, it's a great question. And I just, I just want to share, since you've once again name-checked Anna Portofet, I know John Luchansky. Um, I've never met Anna, and, and we were standing together, and uh, I didn't realize who she was before she walked away. So oh. if you get a chance to introduce me before the end of the meeting to Anna, no, I would... No, they've left. I, they, their flight was uh, early today, so you'll, you'll, oh well. you'll, you'll have to wait till next year. So Anna, I apologize for not saying hello. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I don't this the, I don't know the toxo thing's fascinating to me. I think it's I, I think it's probably all frozen vegetables. But. <laughs> no, you know I, I don't think it is actually. Oh, it was a joke. I think you might be mistaken. I think I think you're probably I right. Could I, there's no connection. There's not. You no. 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 no in fact, with me and frozen vegetables. You're right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially not with you and frozen no. vegetables. Well, but I mean, like, I mean, like, you like frozen vegetables. I do. Yeah. Me too. I consume them often. I do. I do as well. My my favorite frozen vegetable is French fries. <laughs> Mine as well. Don't Some of my. There's nothing wrong with frozen. Yeah. Potatoes so, as well. Some of my favorite friends are frozen vegetables. <laughs> what, Canadians? Yeah, yeah, we, I, yeah, we have, yes, yes. <laughs> Bing, where's the bell, where's the bell? Straight, straight, to, straight to Prince Edward Island with that one. Oh, good, good. Um, so, what else, what else we got, Don? Well, what we don't have is we don't have a Skype call recorder running to know how long we've been talking, but I think we've been talking about an hour. An hour and uh, <clears throat> six minutes. Cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you're on top of that. Um, uh, you want to talk about a man strangled to death with a computer cord by his girlfriend? No, no, I don't. That, <laughs> okay. I, I just want to talk about the headline. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to, I, I said this to, to Don yesterday. Man strangled to death with computer cord by girlfriend with, quote, trust issues. And I thought that was a very understated headline. <laughs> well, and <clears throat> not, not food safety at all, just headline of the week. And, and I have to say, um, if the guy that was strangled to death is the guy in this picture, he's kind of creepy looking. I mean, he's dead, and I feel bad for him. But to strangle someone. <laughs> is that no, that's not a reason. That's not a reason to strangle someone. I agree. I agree. Was it the computer um, cord that actually? Strangled? Yes, computer cable. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was the trust issues. It was quote, oh. and it was quote trust issues. Yes, with with uh, Richard so. Richard fingers. Also, what I thought Don would get most excited about on this one was that there was a computer cord, because whose computers have cords? Oh, I guess all of these. <laughs> well, I, what, actually, what was most interesting to me is that this happened in New Zealand. And I have to reassess all of my, my New Zealand buddies and just how stable or unstable they might be. And this is, this is important news, because we've just had announced at this meeting that, that a New Zealander, Kiwi Roger Cook, is joining the IAFP board. And so I guess we should find out whether he has any trust issues or computer cords. Let's ask him. Maybe it's that isolation that happens. It could, it could be. It could be. So um, we shouldn't we shouldn't make light of this. This is a terrible tragedy, but uh, it's a it's a bizarre article. So thank you for sharing, Ben. Very strong girlfriend. Well, strong trust issues. 
Um, so, I guess the last thing we should talk about is this thing that keeps coming up. The 10 most contaminated things in your fridge that you need to trash right now and healthy alternatives. Because this is a thing that, that happens, right? Like, once every couple of months, we get the... This, these foods are the ones that are killing you. These are the foods that um, have more uh, pathogens on them. These are dirty. These are clean, all that kind of stuff. And so this one is most contaminated. But, Don, it's all about your exposure to harmful chemicals. Oh, yes. We should definitely talk about this. You know, and the people at Salon, I mean, come on, folks. Uh, yeah. So, and I, oh, I guess, sorry. So we'll blame, we'll blame Alternet because the original article appeared on Alternet, but it was uh, re reposted by Salon. And, uh, yeah, this is just a mess. Mustard. I mean, Don't Stop eating the mustard. Yeah, because everybody gets sick from mustard. Well, you know what? I am not. I'm not going to link to the alternate article because Salon does not link to the actual alternate article. Um, they link to a link of a bunch of alternate articles. So, screw them. Um, yeah. So the number one, Ben. The number one is mustard. We all know the look of plastered must plastic mustard squeeze bottles. That is an iconic image of convenience foods in the U.S. A mainstay of backyard barbecues. Oh, and their stupid website keeps jumping around. Um, Mainstay of backyard barbecues and picnic tables. Chemicals of concern, food dyes, preservatives, chemicals to adjust textures, Ben. Oh chemicals gosh. to adjust textures. Um, I like it the uh, way that it, they bring up cheap beer. Emuls yes, emulsifiers, natural and artificial <laughs> flavorings, plasticizers, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, cheap beer. It's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, it's good. Got little to do with the contamination. Don, I, as I walked through the poster session, I was struck by how many posters I saw on the dangers of mustard. <laughs> There's a lot of mustard dangers out there. <laughs> just the the sheer number. I thought there was an entire session just just dedicated to this number one thing on the list. I hope my sarcasm. And, and for and for those that are not aware of uh, that, Ben is being sarcastic. He's being sarcastic. I don't know if there's any papers on mustard um, uh, at the annual meeting here, but uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, I, I, my advice is um, don't eat foods that are composed of chemicals. Yeah, no chem no chemical foods. Because because th those are the ones that'll kill you. Yeah, can you get the? Um I guess everything just non-chemical. Yeah, I, I, the only foods I eat are not made of chemicals. Yeah. Bagels. You could keep bagels in the fridge anyway. You should. Should not. No. No, that's true. Exactly. Cheap so, plastic packaging, so I mean, only get it in the wood packaging. Yeah, that's uh, my. I only buy. I only buy the artisanal mustard in the wood packaging. Throwing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Never, never eat your take. Yeah, never eat your take at leftovers. Get rid of those. You know what I do with them? They give them to me when we go to Cheesecake Factory. Because I was. Why you got to fight with me at why Cheesecake? Why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake? And. Um, and they give me too much food, so I take it home, and I say, oh, you're trying to kill me. And as soon as I leave, I throw it in the garbage. I don't even put it in my car. Well, but so takeout leftovers could be a food safety risk, but not for, not the, for the reason mentioned here. You know, Ben, quote, uh, many food wrappers and takeout containers have high resulting fluorine. Not high fluorine, but high resulting fluorine. I don't know what that means, but high resulting fluorine, an indicator of per Fluor fluorinated chemicals, PFCs, a chemical similar to Teflon, Ben. Similar to Teflon. Well, who wants to eat Teflon? Not me. Not me. Chemicals of concern. Number six, polystyrene may leach styrene. Plastic migration into food from plastic containers, PFC. These are endocrine-disrupting chemicals, Ben. Don, I like this, the simple switch, though, here. 
when glass. You get, when you get leftovers. Get it in glass. Get it in glass. Or food-grade butcher's paper. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I, it's, that's the only way that I store my food. At one time, I said, and it, it could only do it one time, I said, take this back to the kitchen and put this in glass. I will not take it home unless it's in a jar. Leave it on the plate. Leave it, leave, yeah. Could you leave that on the plate Give for me? Give me the plate. Now, now, here's one that is almost verging on the point of actual risk, and that is swordfish. So, uh, ocean, well, and again, ocean, waters carry, ocean water carries lots of toxic chemicals, including neurotoxic mercury. I'm pretty sure that you don't get that from ocean water, but, but anyway, um, you, you can get mercury in swordfish, and that is a known association. And so, if you like swordfish and you're a pregnant woman, stop eating swordfish. If you are anyone else, eat as much swordfish as you'd like because the risk from mercury is to developing fetuses. It's not to healthy adults. So so well, if you well, well, I like babies. Well, that, <laughs> that's <laughs> people who act like babies um, can probably still eat swordfish. So there you go. Um, strawberries because of heavy industrial farm spraying. Uh, Full-fat milk because of chemicals, uh, peeled garlic from China because of metals. Um, yeah, so pretty much there's one fact that they almost kind of get right, um, and another one that they get right by accident for the wrong reason, and that's about it. So yeah, yeah. and and as always, the best part of these websites is the comments. <laughs> Julie Harold writes. Here, I've got a nice big warm bowl of PCBs. Don't reach, let me pass it to you. Eat all you want. And then Jane Nielsen responds to Billy. For lunch, we had duck liver pate, which was probably undercooked. Um, prosciutto, olives, cheese, not from the US, on ciabatta, crudite, and moody tongue beer. Tonight, we're having pasta from Italy, made only with Canadian hard wheat flour, <laughs> with roasted veggies. And cowgirl creamery blue cheese. We'll be drinking an Ursus Pinot. I couldn't make this up. Like, I had to read this. Ursus Pinot from a bear winery in Washington. Dessert will be fresh berries, Evanston's Farmer's Market, with cream and Noah's Mill bourbon. Go ahead and wine. I'm having much more fun than you are. Exactly. That sounds lovely. <laughs> never, never read the comments unless you no, always no, read no. the comments. Well, Don... I almost think that might be a show. I think that's probably a show. I mean, I think we did pretty good considering um, we we had no preparation for this. Sure. We we didn't have hardly anything to talk about, um, and we had some awesome guests. Some awesome guests. Th thanks to and, yeah, and, and well, and, and please <laughs> to all, all the folks that were in the room yeah. and have left, and all the people that are still there. Oh yes, let's give like, please give give yourselves a big hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. There's literally thousands of people here in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Dr. Freeze. Thanks to Pops. Thanks to uh, yeah all the all the listeners here and afar. And uh, we'll uh, we'll post this uh, post this on the internet. All right. If you're listening to it, it's already there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Don. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Uh. It's
Searching. 